You're listening to Starshot, a Cortex actual play. This is a Poke chapter, and if you haven't had a chance to listen to the Poke and Dorothy series, I highly recommend doing that, at least the latest episode, before checking this one out. Where we last left off, you were on a bus trying to get to Stepping Stone and or find Liliana. And uh, you encountered a broken down vehicle on the road and also flying monkey bats. And also nature just kind of freaking out, right? Uh, slowly changing under the control of the other if the world soul theory is to be believed, right? And so you had a cracked faceplate, and last thing you remember was being in a ditch uh, with one of those flying monkey bats practically on top of you uh, before the toxins got into your system and you started uh, basically having a severe reaction to it, most humans do, uh, which is why people typically wear exosuits outside the cities, even when they're going to places that are considered safe. You have fleeting memories uh, going in and out, uh, you remember seeing Dorothy's face. You remember being, being back onto the back of the bus. And you just remember coming in and out. So you remember some sort of checkpoint uh, when the bus finally did reach Stepping Stone. You blacked out there as well. And you remember being in an ambulance surrounded by a biroid and a human and uh, yeah, you're not sure how much time has passed, but you wake up every now and then in a hospital bed, in and out, completely groggy, unable to move. And in between those moments, you've been having the strangest dreams. We flash back several years ago. We find ourselves in the woodland. Coming around the tree with how our camera's pitched, we see a a pair of high command uniformed officers wearing exosuits uh, that are standard issue. Back then, they were a little bit bulkier than they are now. They have these vermilion faceplates, uh, but they are otherwise largely black and gray. The two begin to move along the path here. A third finally comes out, and we see a younger Poke. Uh, Poke, uh, about what age were you when you last served in High Command? So right now, in the kind of present day, Polk is about is forty, you know, forty forty one. It's a little bit unclear, but you know, Polk was last in the service, you know, in his early twenties. So this is this is a kind of you know some experience, but still somewhat green. Polk. Okay. So this would probably be about 17, 20 years ago, which as a reminder, we are 30 years after Worldfall. And so we see a young poke poking around uh, the tree here, trying to catch up uh, with the other two officers here. Poke, you've been sent on patrol. Uh, right now, this is a time where Areas are still being mapped just around Stepping Stone. Progress is slow. And you and your units have received a distress call from a Guardians of Eden outpost 
the Guardians of Eden fought a lot of legal battles, but managed to win their case uh, just a few years ago and have basically built up several outposts on uh, several outposts in order to study the local flora and fauna. It's not really High Command's job to police them, but uh, there's no formal police force in Stepping Stone, and so High Command kind of fits that bill. Traveling on foot, uh, 100 yards away from your vehicle, the three of you begin marching downhill until finally you reach the outpost. You see several small domed buildings, half of which are purposely built within the earth itself. There are no people around. Uh, Lieutenant Graham is your senior officer, and he basically takes a long, sweeping glance of this small outpost and basically gestures for the three of you to split up. How do you go about this, Poke? So I, I want to kind of survey the, the scene again. So what, what are these? How many how many dome buildings are there, and what kind of what do they look like? And what, like what state are they in? Uh, the dome buildings are basically pristine. Uh, they are still new. Uh, there is some like overgrowth. Uh, this is an older outpost, but basically the area surrounding you is seemingly unmolested by any sort of threats. And additionally. Actually, I think now's a pretty good time to kick off our uh, session's first roll. Uh, so why don't you go ahead and put together a mental and notice check, and then one of your distinctions. So I got a D8 for mental. Sorry, what was the second one? Notice. Oh, notice. Okay, so D8, D4, and I guess this would be former high command, so D8. Okay, so two D8s and D4. Let's do that. Oh, that's not great. So I've got uh, my two highest dice are two threes, so a six total. No ones. You enter in through one of the domes here. Uh, there are three of them, so it would make sense that the three of you would split off. When you enter the dome, the door is already ajar. Uh, keep in mind, these are like sliding doors, and uh, usually they are built in such a way that they can keep out contaminants uh, if needed. And so they open up into like this tiny decontamination hallway, uh, but both doors are basically wide open, which it, it shouldn't do that. The lighting flickers on overhead for you, uh, basically announcing your presence as you enter in. The room beyond is also still dark, but things are starting to come alive. Uh, if it's entered this state of hibernation uh, in terms of the computer systems, where you're looking at as far as you can surmise, uh, half an hour, hour since anyone's been through here. So I'm, I'm going to do two things. Uh, first, I'm going I'm to kind of click on my my kind of internal to my exosuit like radio. I'm just going to listen for any kind of you know broadcast from anywhere nearby, including the station. Right. So you begin to listen for broadcasts, and you actually pick up a weak signal. You would need to either jack into your vehicle which is a good hundred yards uphill uh, going the other way uh, to clean up or you can attempt to clean up uh, through the system that's on your exosuit yeah so i'm definitely going to try to clean up to the exosuit this could be another role so you're looking at a physical or not physical this you're looking at a mental you're not great at this either mental operates and one of your distinctions probably high command uh, distinction once again okay so d8 d4 d8 all right 
Uh, yikes. Jesus Christ. That's a four with a one in there. <laughs> uh, I also rolled a four, but you're the one that's trying to beat my number. So uh, it looks like you don't win out. What's that one rolled on? It's on my D4. Thank God. Okay. I will buy that from you. Yeah. And uh, I will use it to upgrade the D8 to a D10. I started the danger zone at a pair of eights. All right. So I basically just kind of get like a somewhat unintelligible static key message back. Like I clearly it's like some kind of like broadcast, but it's completely unintelligible. Is that, is that what kind of I'm looking at? What you end up picking up is a signal that you start to actually, you, you do start to like clean it up. Uh, but once you get it to a point where you might be able to pick up what it is, and it very much sounds like it's some sort of voice repeating something over and over, uh, suddenly it becomes too high pitched. You involuntarily wince clutching the side of your helmets uh, and actually having to drop to your knee. Uh, we get a close-up of your face through the vermilion glass, and we can see that you uh, start having a nosebleed. And just as quickly as that bout hits you, it's gone. I kind of catch my breath, and you know this is not something that I've encountered before. It's, it's, it's pretty harrowing. I'm, I'm not exactly thrilled about being, you know, by some kind of sonic attack here through this broadcast, so I, I kind of switch off my my uh, internal you know uh, radio and do it, am I armed as a, as a ranger here? If you want to be, if you think rangers would be armed, I think in this kind of rescue mission, I think there's in, into the wilderness, especially with a different group. I'm definitely armed, but just some kind of like light carb carbine or something. Um, but I but I, I I kind of unsling it. It was previously kind of slung at my back, and I kind of unsling it now. And I'm not I'm not like pointing it up in some kind of like you know defense mode, but I definitely have it no longer just kind of casually across my back. And I I, I, sl- I slowly kind of struggle to one knee because I'm still feeling the effects of that of that sonic uh, blast in my system. But uh, at, at this point, I'm kind of looking for you know a, a lot of these uh, you know these are kind of prefabricated you know dome systems, you know, kind of easily deployable. You know, I'm I'm familiar with with them a little bit. Uh, from seeing them used elsewhere and kind of you know military outposts that kind of a thing, uh, so they're kind of multi. Is, is it okay if I kind of describe them this way? Is that fine? If I, if I yeah, kind of give some character? Yeah, uh, I, I, Sorry, I, I forget which systems are, are. You're allowed to be a little more. Like I'm allowed to do some of the stuff describing, but um. So these, these are kind of like uh you know prefabricated you know domes that can be used for research or military purposes or whatever. So I, I begin to look for kind of what this, they tend to have some kind of centralized consoles. That, have, that kind of have di- diagnostic abilities for that. You know, they're, they're not like all-purpose, you know, universal systems, but they, they have like basic di- diagnosis of, of the of the domes, kind of environmental systems and communication systems. And everything. Like I look for basically a damage report on one of these consoles, if there is one. Okay, yeah. You enter into this fabricated dome, and you notice that uh, this seems more like a artificial greenhouse of sorts. There's all sorts of flora gathered here in rows and rows and rows and this place is walking in seems way larger than looked like on the outside on the outside it looks like it's maybe the size of uh maybe like 900 square feet uh this place looks like it's five times bigger than that uh, as you stride in begin looking for that console as you're doing so, uh, your ears are still ringing a little bit, uh, but you're finally like hearing a voice, um, which is a familiar voice from Lieutenant Graham. It uh, says, uh, "Poke, poke, you there, sir? Like, I'm I'm still here. Uh, no sign of life so far. No uh, source of any distress call so far. 
doing a basic reconnaissance of the dome, but but nothing to report at the moment. I, but and I, I, I kind of mentioned like there, I, I did try to tune into the local communication system and something's some kind of interference is there. It's it's I would recommend look you know listening to it if you if you if you can if you can help it. Poke, you're you're breaking up. We can't hear you. Which dome are you in? You'll need to run the and two and then it just cuts out uh, static. Okay. I mean, th- this being kind of a, a very, very distressing <laughs> communication from my commanding officer, I, I, I go, I'm, I leave to go back outside the dome. I, I want to get back outside and see what's happening. You turn away uh, and begin to head out. So when you are finally out of the dome, you don't find that you're in the woods around Stepping Stone anymore. You find yourself in a desert. Uh, we see dunes, and it is immediately hot. Your exosuit obviously adjusts itself to uh, cool you and try and maintain that moisture. Turning around uh, and checking out your environment, you don't see that dome anymore. I, I this, this is like completely. I, I'm absolutely flabbergasted. I, I, I use my exosuit to do like a quick like self-diagnosis. I'm, I'm looking for like any kind of physical damage to myself or, or some kind of infiltration in my suit. Yeah, you give yourself a look over. You're not seeing anything wrong with your suits. Um, the diagnostics hasn't finished running, uh, but in the 20 minutes of just your visual checks, you look good. Uh, your diagnostics should be checking in uh, after a minute. I, I, I kind of try to scan the entire like scene. I'm, I'm looking for any kind of landmarks or some kind of part of this landscape I recognize. But I'm also trying to just like get a, get a sense of what's happening to my to my body right now, if this is even real. You decide to climb up a nearby dune, uh, and as soon as you crest over it, uh, your diagnostics is finally registering. Your suit's fine. Your biometrics are all good. And looking forward, um, we see like through your through your point of view, uh, head in the helmet, uh, all the metrics that you would get fed. Uh, and we see that your heart rate starts climbing a little bit as you're confused by what you see about half a mile ahead of you. It seems to be just this giant obelisk here in the middle of the desert. Like I, I kind of look around and, and see if there's... Is, is there anything in this desert that, that besides that one kind of, you know, alien form? I mean, is there, is there anything at all that's recognizable or... I mean, is, is there you know, grove of trees? Is there kind of any kind of wildlife, anything at all? Or is it just rolling dunes? Just rolling dunes. Actually, so ahead of you is this large uh, cobalt blue and black obelisk uh, that just basically stands as the only monument here. And as you begin to look around once more, now that you're on top of this dune, behind you, probably a couple miles behind, uh, but just visible, you see uh, what seems to just be this wall of uh, this wall of dust heading in your direction. I take a moment to like take it in, and it kind of hits me the the, the situation, you know, the, the the state I'm in, and I start to sprint towards the obelisk. Okay, uh, the, this dust storm is moving rapidly. Uh, once you go ahead and make a physical plus move. And also, uh, probably high command again. Okay, so I've got a 14. Uh, no no ones. All right, uh, I have only rolled a 6. You say you rolled a 14, right? I rolled a 6. And so you're going to get a D8 for your hero die. And yeah, you begin to sprint. 
and uh, maybe it's the ISO suit, maybe it's all of that working out that you've been doing lately, but you make it to the obelisk. The obelisk itself stands before you, this large tower uh, that's just like a sword tip thrusting up into the sky. It looks to be maybe 100, 150 feet uh, as it towers over you. Um, and frankly, it seemed like it was just growing ever so taller as you were approaching it. But you were getting closer, that you're sure. Uh, as you begin to race toward the ob obelisk, you don't see any sort of entryway. And so you pause 20 feet away, looking for your options. And when you turn around, the dust, the dust storm that you were confident you were ahead of engulfs you. You wake up in a medical bed. Your vision is hazy. You see someone looming off in your periphery, off to the left, and you can hear muffled voices, although they are very close. Uh, your vision slowly begins to adjust. You're in this annoyingly bright uh, hospital room, it would seem. There's a TV up in the corner there. There's a curtain that's been set up. You're apparently not given this hospital room by yourself. And uh, there appears to be nurses and doctors walking all about. What do you do? I look down at myself in the bed. And am I wearing anything? Am I, am I, am I, is that, do I see any of my gear or anything? I'd like any, anything of my, my own around me. Yeah, so the hospital bed itself, uh, rather than like having all sorts of uh, tubes hooked into you, uh, what you see is uh, basically the sort of half arcways is almost as if it could just be closed like a tanning bed, like on top of you. Uh, and that takes up like a third of the bed side. Uh, and this is used to just basically monitor your vitals. There's nothing actually holding you onto the bed. Uh, there does seem to be a single tube, I guess I lied, uh, to hydrate you. Uh, but you are currently dressed in the hospital gown. I begin to flex my legs and arms and see if if if, if I've taken any damage or if, or if I'm you know capable of movement. Yeah, it's slow, lethargic. Um, frankly, more of a twitch, but you can feel your arms, you can feel your legs, and it seems you can move. It just all feels like lead. I tried my best as as quietly as I can to kind of push myself up into a sitting position in the in this bed. Uh, you feel very lightheaded, but you're able to do it. Uh, someone suddenly rushes over to your side and says, Mr. Polk, you're going to need to rest. Where am I? Why am I here? Uh, turning a look, you see a young nurse. She is about 5'11". Uh, she's currently wearing a mask over her face, but she's otherwise wearing scrubs. She says, you've been, in, you've been exposed to some toxins, and you've been here for 18 hours. Your friend made sure you got here safe. And we frankly need you to lay back down. Your vitals are only just starting to stabilize, Mr. Polk. What, what friend? Where, where's, where's, my, where's Lieutenant Graham? Where's the rest of my, my, my company? She gives you a long, bewildered look. Uh, and she, like, hand on your shoulder because she's, like, gently trying to push you back down to bed. Looks back to the doctor that she'd been talking to. The doctor is 5'8". She is currently writing something down uh, on her tablets. And immediately, she also approaches the uh, bed. She nods to the nurse who gives you to some space. And she pulls up a chair. How are you feeling, Mr. Polk? I feel like thousand pounds of lead right now but it doesn't matter what i feel like i mean 
where am I right now? Where is my entire outfit? Your throat feels hoarse. Um, it already felt pretty raw when you first woke up. Even sputtering these sentences out is just making it worse. One thing at a time, Mr. Polk. Um, I have a few questions, if you don't mind. No, I, I'm not going to answer anything until you, you tell me where my commanding officer is. She uh, straightens up. Uh, eyes no longer glued to the pad that she was holding uh, to take notes down on. Uh, she says, folding her pad, uh, because this is a future where perhaps the Samsung Galaxy Fold was successful. <laughs> <laughs> um, and she says, uh, well, according to my records, you shouldn't have a commanding officer. Uh, Mr. Polk, can you tell me how many fingers I'm holding up? You can see her very clearly. She's holding up three fingers. This is impossible. I... I... We we were scouting for a for a to a research facility that we were answering a distress call. We were out on patrol, and I was in the desert. And now I'm here. I, I I'm a member of high command. You need to put me in touch with high command. I, who are you? Why, where where even am I right now? I always have very hoarse doing this, but I'm still very kind of agitated. No, Mister Polk, you're you run an Amy Fonts, which I'm a huge fan of, but. but not your particular location. I've never been over to West Sands, uh, but you're a Navy Fonz uh, franchise owner. You were on a bus from West Sands to here. Do you remember that, Mr. Poke? As she says, Amy Fonz and like a bus, like the, the flood of memory begins to just kind of overwhelm me uh, because, it, because I'm, I'm suddenly kind of having this temporal convergence where, you know, as, as real as that felt, now I'm kind of looking down at my body and seeing the age, and kind of st- and beginning to f- to to remember that attack, and I kind of just lay back on the bed and I'm like I, I feel at this point so lightheaded I'm I'm, I'm barely conscious it, like it, it just it's it's kind of overwhelming, and I I go I I the bus I I remember what, what happened to the bus, what happened to the okay what what happened to the clones what what happened to I can't remember her name what, what happened to any of them. Well, the clones that was shuttled here are currently being inventoried. Uh, there was only a couple other uh, passengers. In from the sound of things, uh, this is fairly normal. Depending on who you talk to, um, a lot of people just see clones as something to inventory. Uh, so she tells you about. Uh, she reminds you about Dorothy Singer and the bus driver and uh she's also taking notes she never seems to stop analyzing you this doctor uh tell me poke uh alf character who um who does poke have listed as their emergency contact the the chef from my emmy fawns and I've, I've, I've got some just number kind of anonymous number to a, a few contacts the point being like if someone had to contact them they could do it but they it'd be like an untraceable call essentially or, or communication as soon as she finishes uh, answering these questions and taking down all this information, uh, you see the familiar frame of Bao, uh, who is this fairly like heavy set guy, right? Uh, your chef for years and years, uh, for, well, for as long as you've been running Amy Fonz, and grandfather to Liliana, uh, who, if you recall, Last time you saw Lily, she had hijacked a semi and was driving off somewhere with a boy. Uh, the doctor's 
having not noticed Bao just yet, uh, Bao just kind of standing in the doorframe, just a mixture of emotion from being flabbergasted to seeing you laid out like this, uh, to being elated uh, and concerned and all all that comes with that. Um, The doctor uh, gets up and says, we'll be coming to check on you here another hour. Uh, we're going to have to hold you here another day. I have to say, Mr. Polk, you're lucky you had a very high exposure to uh, to the airborne toxins. It's a surprise that you made it here alive. Uh, there's a lot of people here right now due to what's, what's kind of escalating out there outside the city, and um, most of them are are not as lucky as you and with that she uh, begins to take her leave she only gives bow a nod who uh bow basically rushes to your side i kind of look at him and go bow where are we right now who who was that how did you get here so fast i i I need to talk to you about so much but i I can't trust talking to you here what where are we oh boy they they really laid you out huh uh, we're at the hospital stepping stone. Back at stepping stone. How long? How? What day is today? And I'm 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 asking to kind of gauge how long it's been. Yeah. So uh, it's been a couple of days since you last saw Bao. Um, you were on the bus just yesterday, from what he's telling you. Bao, I I need to tell you about Liliana, but I can't tell you here. They want they want me be, to, to be here for another day, but I've got to get out of here. We, there's too much at stake. You got to help me get out of, out of out of here and somewhere safe. The man you know seems very deflated in this instance. And he glances over his shoulder, uh, then takes a gander toward the curtain uh, that is clearly for the privacy of whomever you're sharing this room with. It says, if you know something about Liliana, you should just tell me. We're we're safe here. I don't know why you're being so paranoid. We need to get back in contact with, with our kind, and we need to do it. In a secure place, I something is happening right now. About I don't know what it is. I can't wrap my mind around it. I haven't been able to connect the threads. But something greater than we can possibly comprehend, just from our perspective. And I don't know what how Liliana is a part of it or not. And I I don't. We can't trust anybody here. We can only trust each other and the people that we that we work with. You look at him. And he looks at you. You can tell that as much as he wants to hear about Liliana, that what's going through his mind are perhaps the dozens and dozens of cases of people who've been exposed to the toxin uh, that one can potentially experience out in the wilderness and how uh, some of them kind of lose their minds. As your vision begins to grow a little bit hazy, uh, a migraine slowly overtaking you as you're telling about all of this go ahead and make me a mental plus focus and then any of the distinctions you think would be relevant um probably the vow of the few or maybe your resolve instilled in you from high command perhaps uh and if you feel like none of those are really applicable you could always uh, just roll a d4 instead and just take a plot point yeah, I, I think that's actually what I'm gonna do. I'm, I'm gonna take the, I'm gonna I'm gonna take a my mental plus uh, focus and then also drop down for a d4 for a plot point uh, with with the with the devout of the few. 
Um, so let's do that. So D D8, D10, D4. Well, we got some good dice to buy here because I've got a total of six with two different ones I rolled. Wow. Okay. So I rolled 14. And you say you rolled two ones? I rolled a, on my D10, I rolled a one. On my D4, I rolled a one. Okay, I well, I obviously got to uh, buy that, so yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna give you, actually, I'm just gonna give you one plot point. I'm gonna buy the D4, and I'm gonna turn that into a D10 by stepping up my D8. Wait, question before when you bought one of my ones, does that that also got me a plot point? Is that how that works? Okay, so so I, I got a I got a plot point for that. I got a plot point for you buying this dice. Plus, I got a, I got a plot point for stepping it down, right? So that's how I, I'm in three. I have three plot points right now. Yep. Okay. Cool. Uh, I I have you at four. You started the session with one. Ah. Okay. So I'm at four. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. All right. So danger zone is at two d ten right now, uh, and on top of that, because I, uh, I I don't get hero dice when I roll extraordinary successes, uh, which is five or more, right, uh, above what you did. Uh, instead, I actually take a die away from you. Uh, from your hero dice pool. Uh, okay. how, uh, what dice do you have in your hero pool right now? I have a D, D8. A D8. Yeah, it's a D8. Uh, remove it from your pool. Oh, I had it for so long, for a good 10 minutes of this episode. So awesome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm good till 9.30. So, uh, you're... The pain is kind of uh, insurmounting. It's it causes you to uh, groan and you feel a sense of vertigo. Even um, you're just kind of kind of forced to just lay back down to the bed uh, on the bed like fully, um, which I, I kind of imagine you were kind of propped up a little bit. Yeah. And so uh, Bao is like, oh, uh, "Don't worry, I'll, I'll get you some help. We'll we'll talk about the Liliana. Just get better, man." I can't lose you too. I'm, my eyes are closed and I'm like in pain, but I, I reach out and just like kind of grab his forearm and like, you know, I'm, I'm still back. I'm still kind of back in bed with my eyes closed, but I'm kind of gripping his forearm. just like kind of through my teeth. I'm just like, wow, just get me out of here. I think there's a moment here where perhaps you do like squint at him uh, as you say that. And when you do through the haziness of your vision, you don't see bow. You see, a man uh, with brown skin, uh, brown eyes, and a very like blocky head. You recognize him as one of your comrades from when you used to be in high command. Can't place a name. Uh, and then just like that, when you blink, it's bow again. He's patting your hand, gently removing it from his forearm. Um, he says... Look, brother, I'll be right back. I'm going to go get you a doctor. And he uh, takes leave. Um, and just like that, you find yourself, as you close your eyes, uh, in your high command dress uniform. Uh, what's that uniform look like? Jeez. Uh, has, has Amit given you any details about high command's kind of general sartorial looks? Uh, not since the unaired season, so okay. a, a uniform skin change okay. in thirty years. Sure. Uh, so my my particular is a dress uniform. You said. Yeah, it's a dress uniform. Okay, so it's a very very pressed, uh, kind of olive green, uh, uniform. Uh, it's pretty. I, I think in the years since since World Fall, the kind of uniform dress has gotten a lot more, uh, austere. Uh, so even the dress uniforms have a little bit of kind of utilitarian look to them 
Uh, they're not they're not they're not quite like you know jumpsuits or anything, but they're they're not like you know what you, would, you might see in like a dress whites or something like that. Again, sorry for sorry for the layman's interpretation of military uniforms here. I don't know anything about anything, but there's no like pageantry or flair. It just it happens. Just it's just kind of a much more much neater kind of drab olive uh, uniform with uh, you know maybe maybe it's got like a little uh, little tie. It's got a little tie. How about that? It's a cool tie. <laughs> okay. But, yeah. But that's that is like the only real kind of distinguishing feature of this uniform that may be different from a kind of a typical like um, you know uniform that you might be go out uh, in the field with. Uh, and also, but but I've got is that, is that like a I'm trying to think of it. It's not quite a beret. I have a hat. It's kind of like a, it's like it's like a some kind of, almost like a page boy's hat, but with with, with a little bit of like an insignia on top of it. Kind of and like a like a, pla- like a plasticky vinyl-y, uh brim. You are now just like exiting after a debriefing. This is a full week after your deployment out to that outpost. So uh, now it's kind of coming back to you what you ended up finding. Uh, You found several bodies, not to get into gruesome detail of any sorts, uh, but these bodies were seemingly mauled by wildlife that would, would not normally be so aggressive, uh, much less approach a human settlement, no matter how small it was. But they were evidently mauled, and they were found having been dragged a couple miles west of the Guardians of Eden outpost into a contaminated area. Uh, contaminated being you know, the type of area that basically gut punched you uh in present time right uh were the flora colors changing to just like sickly black and uh and basically there are airborne toxins uh, and so that's where you and your team managed to locate the bodies uh, so you're walking out of the debriefing uh you are back in stepping stone and you have this full-on view of the developing city uh, I don't know how Poke feels at this point in time about staying or going, but if you were the type that were for like leaving as soon as possible, uh, given the world's soul, uh, this doesn't look like a city that's getting ready to leave. It looks like a city that's getting ready to entrench itself. Uh, we start to see the makings of the skyline that. Uh, in a few years, present time Pope would be able to see. I think Polk, at this point in his life, like he, he's he's a little bit like he came over at age ten uh, on the journey to to Janus, and so he 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 has memories of kind of old Earth, whatever we called it before. And he's always he's like he, his his kind of resentment about being brought to this planet began kind of more of a um, adolescent resentment, you know, kind of resenting his parents for taking him out of that that seeming comfort for this kind of really austere hard scrabble existence but i think that kind of more juvenile emotional response to to janice is turning into something he's a little more he's a lot of anxiety about there's a a gut feeling that that polk has he feels uncertain and unsteady in in on this world more not because he feels like the world itself is a threat but he feels like something unnatural is being is taking place merely by the colony's presence, and I know it's a complicated emotion for him to, to, to have, and he doesn't really understand it because it really is a gut feeling. And so, so the kind of seeing this, you know, he's, he still serves in the military in high command because that's you know something he still feels a, somewhat of a calling for. But when he sees you know the, the development of the colony and the kind of 
people going about their lives without much sense of, you know, kind of as business as usual. It 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 kind of unnerves him. Uh, as you're kind of looking at this uh, skyline, someone comes up uh, to your flank. Uh, is the same gentleman that you were mistaking Bow for? This tall figure, uh, who's really half a head taller than you, uh, firmly grasps your shoulder in a friendly manner. Uh, he flashes a smile and says, What's the matter, Poke? You zoning off there? Sorry, I, I, this, this, this colony just keeps growing. What are we doing here? For the, does he, is he aware of our expedition at all? Am I, am I like telling him something he shouldn't, shouldn't be aware of? So he is normally a part of your squad. Uh, your team is normally of four people. Um, he was on leave when you were sent off to the outpost. That's the reason for his absence. Uh, and so, yeah, starting to uh, come back to you. This is this is uh, Jevin Smalls. Uh, he's been serving you. The two of you basically went through basic training together, uh, through your advanced training courses together. And you haven't always been on the same detail together, but uh, over the last half year, you've been lucky enough to serve with one another. I mean, you, you heard what we found out there, Jevin. There is something in this world that is resisting our presence. We, I felt it ever since I arrived here. I, I came here, you know, 10 years ago. Something wants to consume us, and we are out here creating a world for us, ourselves. Like, this is another, you know, some... some foreign land on, on back on earth something is something is happening here jevin he gives you a uh, long look he doesn't say anything uh until seemingly pointedly uh after a passerby is out of earshot he nods friend uh he nods to this passerby with a friendly smile uh and just kind of waits uh eyes drifting toward that building skyline says you're telling me i i've been thinking about it a lot i don't think i could do this anymore and I don't think this is the way we should be going. But what can we do? I mean, we can't get off planet. Can't wander off into the wilderness. We're trapped here. We're trapped like everybody else is. He glances over his shoulder, uh, looking back toward the door across the hallway. This is a pretty wide hallway. So, and you've moved over to closer to the windows at this point and sees the upper leadership finally starting to file out. When the basically calls him over calls him over for something and before he does uh head over he whispers into your ears like hey man look i um we can talk about this more a little bit later but i think i have some friends you might be interested in meeting uh, drinks tonight same spot i kind of look back at him with a kind of bewildered look and just stammer out like sure he takes his leave and he approaches the captain that had waved him over. Uh, next to the captain is Lieutenant Graham, uh, who sees you, uh, gives you a firm nod, uh, but his attention seems to mostly be on Sergeant Smalls here. And uh, joining them is a civilian, uh, Commission Representative Carol Belvey. Uh, he seems to be a up-and-coming uh, powerhouse in the commission, it would seem. Uh, the four of them uh, actually re-enter the briefing room, this commission representative closing the door behind them, and you find yourself alone this hallway. In fact, very alone. Uh, this hallway was briefly flooded with a lot of your squad mates and other peers, and just like that, as the door closed, 
It's dead silence. I, I think the lighting shifts. Uh, we can see it shifting from being late afternoon to being nighttime uh, in just a matter of a few seconds, right before your eyes. Does this change? Like, am I, am I sensing this as, as something a, a, like an unnatural shift, or is it, does this feel like a, like a time jump to me? It feels like an unnatural shift. Okay. I, I kind of take a take a step backward at, at a shock and kind of find myself, you know, backing up into the into the wall of the corridor. Uh, you back up into the wall. You feel a breath on the back of your neck, uh, and you can hear that quiet, quiet string of words that now suddenly feel like chanting uh, within the back of your ears, but it's always just just quiet enough to be indistinguishable as to what is chanting out. Um, and when you turn, you don't see anyone there. You find yourself face to face with a reflection of yourself in the mirror, an older version of yourself years from now when you're outside of high command. And uh, you're not alone because over that reflection shoulder is the seemingly indescribable face. You wake up again in the hospital room. Judging from the time, uh, it appears to be the next morning, the curtain that was giving you privacy from whomever your roommate is has been drawn back. There are a couple of nurses moving a body onto a gurney and basically wheeling this person who evidently passed away overnight uh, out of the room. The person looks absolutely terrible. He looks like what you were looking like when you were exposed to the toxins in the air. I, I kind of reach out with my hand, and but I'm, I'm still obviously very, very hoarse and, and, and don't have much energy, but I, I try to muster the best, like, hey, who is that? Uh, only one of the nurses seemed to acknowledge you. He has a face mask on as well, and he says, we'll be right with you, sir. We'll make sure someone gets you, uh, gets you sorted out. And the two of them are just already out the door at this point so like as the door is closing i'm kind of like like what happened to what happened to them what happened to them you find yourself alone in this room the tv's on although on mute uh to the news and next to you uh on the stand is a tall glass of water a tray of breakfast food that's still steaming so it must have just been delivered uh as well as a as well as like a small like pad for you to use if you want to seeing that steaming food in the water suddenly it hits me how hungry I, and the kind of empty I am obviously I'm, I'm kind of hydrated from whatever fluid hooked up to me but I still feel this, this unlike ravenous hunger overtake me and I begin to just to kind of eat eat that breakfast food like with basically with my hands I'm not even like waiting looking for utensils I I, 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 I to this moment not realized how long it's been since I'd had kind of a, a real meal in that moment I just begin to devour the food when we last played together, you were suffering from a, specifically from a complication. This is going to be your recovery role for it. This is a toxins one? I've got toxins on here, okay. Uh, so you're going to be rolling against a pair of eights, as well as the d6 that you're trying to recover from. I'm going to say physical plus just survive in general. Uh, so... That's a D D six for you, and then one of your distinctions. I mean, can I can I roll caring for myself here? Yeah. Okay. Care for yourself. So you spend a plot point on the tray of food if you feel like that would help as an asset, and that will give you a D six into your pool. 
I think I'm definitely gonna spend a plot point here and to turn this kind of food. I, I, I'm seeing that this, you know, I'm, I'm suddenly kind of in addition to my hunger, realizing how sore and achy and kind of just kind of stricken I am by by some some kind of poison or toxin. Mm. So I kind of see this food as finally something natural to put in, inside my body. So I'm, I'm gonna try to use a plot point here to make that an asset and roll a d6 for it. Okay. Uh, my total is a 12. Okay, so I'm, I'm going to roll 2d6s and 2d8s, right? So I'm rolling physical, survive, caring, and the plot point. Okay, so here, let me see what I got here. Okay, so I've got a... Uh, still only a 10, though. Uh, you can keep spending plot points to uh, add dice to your total. So I had you at 4. You just spent 1. Uh, so mm-hmm. you have 3 more plot points. So but do I add d6 to my, my total? Is that what I'm doing? Uh, you'll add the dice that you didn't tally together... Uh, those are oh got it okay. yeah you would add one of those for every plot point you spend okay let's spend another another plot point to add a d8 okay uh what uh what does that bring your total to that case uh so i'm trying to beat a 12 is that you said yeah okay so that gets me to a 13 so i'm five five and three okay uh so you are down to two plot points okay uh so yeah fantastic so uh you do need to pick an effect die still uh effect dice matter for this when it comes to recovery rolls like this it would ideally be bigger than the complication you're trying to remove, that complication being a d6. It, it is not. It has to be a d6. So the, 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 the die I didn't use was a d6. Okay, uh, that's actually still fine. Like regardless of the effect size, it still has an impact because you were successful. As to uh, what happens, it's just that your toxins aren't going to be automatically removed. The complication gets stepped down by one. So you now have a d4 toxin. Okay complication and keep in mind uh, that's still going to affect you until we feel like it should no longer affect you uh which i mean this toxin killed a person in the bed next to you right so it's a very serious thing um so you're still going to be feeling the effects so i think it's still going to hang around for a while until next time you can make a recovery check Mm -hmm. Uh, but when it comes to a d4 complication actually what happens is you can choose to roll down your own pool on purpose and when you do so you get a plot point uh, and then the complication goes away after the roll is over got it so it's not that bad we'll talk mm-hmm. about it next time you make a roll okay uh okay but cool so yeah you were chowing down on uh this hospital food and you feel immensely better like you still feel a little bit dizzy uh, but instead of having a ton of lead on your limbs, it only feels like a quarter of a ton now. Uh, what do you do? So I'm, I've, I'm kind of now that I've kind of got my wits about me and and, have, and feel a little less ravenous, having had some of this food, I kind of open that tablet up and kind of try to scan for any kind of uh, current event stories or anything that would kind of let me know what's happened in the day that I've been unconscious. The last big news that you would recall was that the shipyard had been destroyed and that the Aspiration, which was the generation ship that was supposed to shuttle everyone off of here, has been severely damaged. Uh, the latest news on that seems to imply that there was a, some sort of explosion in engineering and something took out the bridge of the sh- uh, generation ship. And uh, this is going to set back the project by at least five years by optimistic estimates. Uh, but some talking heads are, ta- uh, are thinking that's going to set it back by another 10 or 15 years, um, especially since uh, a, represent- a commission representative, Carol Belvey, uh, was evidently found dead. And he was a big proponent 
of uh, basically progressing this project when a lot of people were starting to, well, frankly, not want to leave on a generation ship. And so the commission representative was found dead at the space station, the Renewed, uh, which orbits Janus, your planet. Um, there have been no details released on that. And frankly, uh, apparently a short time afterwards, at a time when you were still like on the bus, this was probably actually around the time where you were at that the few outposts after having taught those cops away, if you recall. Uh, the renewed uh, orbital station had apparently been destroyed. Somehow a hail of rocks smashed through the renewed. Uh, essentially how mining is done for, for Janus is that they send out uh, drones basically to collect and move asteroids, meteors, etc., uh, closer to Janus for easier access. And all the mining is like 90% of it's done remotely. And so they use these drones to maneuver these, uh, these space rocks, right? And somehow some of those drones uh, were programmed on a collision course with the renewed, and they barely managed to evacuate the station in time. So, is is this the this is, this is not the only presence in in, in orbit uh, for this colony, right? This is, this is this is just a station that's associated with the generation ship. Is that right, or is that, is that? No, the renewed was the major orbital station. All right. So I, I think reading this and knowing you know how much Polk is invested in kind of the fuse creed and, and, and their beliefs and, and the, the belief of having to get off of Janus. I mean, this is devastating as much as the, the, the news of the, you know, kind of explosion on the deliverance was before the news of the, of the loss of the station is even more, I mean, it kind of, again, there's like a grief and a sense of, you know, just hopelessness begins to wash over Polk. As you're like looking over this, and I think this is probably like 20, 30 minutes of reading and watching latest news clips and stuff as to what's going on um and you hadn't even gotten to like the stuff that's just happening on the ground just yet although you're starting to see headlines for that uh that's when bow uh comes in uh he comes in with a to-go bag of amy fawn presumably from the stepping stone location and he says oh man i was hoping to get this to you before you ate that slop i appreciate it bow i i Sincerely appreciate your friendship. Yeah, no problem. He drops the uh, he drops the Amy Fun takeout on the nightstand. Um, looks around the room and says, uh, "You mind if I have it?" Bow, be my guest, please. He plops down into a chair, uh, grabbing the takeout and immediately starting to. Well, he he's not wolfing it down like you were wolfing down your food, uh, but he's eating it pretty quick. And in between bites of food, he's like, oh, how you feeling, man? Bow, I feel terrible. I think I was exposed to something, something on this planet. And it, it's look, I'm, I'm, I'm lucid. I remember where I was and what happened, but I'm still being affected by this. So believe me when I, when I tell you what I say is the truth and my memory is, is, is accurate, but I'm not feeling great, Bow, to be honest. Bao, who is normally pretty jolly, very clearly takes you serious. He, he's the type of person that wears his heart on his sleeve. So this expression changes like just like that. doesn't stop him from eating, though. He says, uh, hey, you take all the time you need to get yourself straightened out. I'll take care of the restaurant. And, you know, I, 
I'm already working with uh, law enforcement to find Liliana and you wait, just wait. get some bed rest. Law enforcement? No, no, no. You can't. You can't. You can't trust them right now. <laughs> what, brother? I just, I just left the station. I mean, I I've been working with them for the last uh, day since I got here. Ever since I heard you were bed up here. Tell them you found her. Tell them you know where she is and she's safe. But don't tell them anything else. I, I don't understand. Look, you were here when, when the riots happened yesterday, or a couple days ago, correct? Yeah, I was. There's some kind of... There were agitators here. There were outsiders here. I mean, it's not a coincidence that, that, you know, that the deliverance gets has, has an explosion. We lose our main orbital space station, and, and what happens in, in Stepping Stone happened. And there's there's something at work here that I, have, I, I can't understand, but you, you can't trust anybody... In that position right now, you can't trust the people you've gone to about Liliana. Look, we, we have to trust who we can trust, and that's the members of our group, not anybody else. This is what makes him stop eating. Uh, he's halfway through his food. He sets it aside, the kelp's, uh, kelp morning soup, um, wipes his mouth, uh, and balls his fists just anxiously, uh, clenching tight for a second, hands on on his knees and then let it go clenching tight and he does this a couple of times more he says i don't know if you realize but liliana's not here the last i saw liliana was with you i was i was there at the square when i saw you and your cop friend take off in some semi truck now i don't know what's going on but i was hoping you know what forget it no Wow, I'm sorry. I, I I wish I could tell you more and and could convince you of what what I've seen and what I've what I know. But Liliana is safe right now, but I'm afraid that she won't be safe if if she's found by others. You have to trust me on this, Bow. She knows what she's doing. You you have to tell the authorities that you that she's fine. I, I know it's hard to understand and and hard to believe, and I know you love her and are looking out for her best interests. But you've got to believe me with this. You, you have to trust me. You can see skepticism on his face. I think this is where we should call for a contest. Your goal here is obviously to get Bao on your side. Bao's goal here is to basically uh, get you to calm down because you're kind of pissing him off right now. But also just, you know, try to uh, take you off this seemingly path of paranoia. Uh, he thinks that the toxins are still at play or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he might get a doctor uh, to check up on you. Mm-hmm. So uh, normally this is player initiated. And frankly, it, it will have to be because otherwise he's just going to uh, get up and make an excuse to go use the bathroom and in reality get a doctor if mm-hmm. you don't initiate the contest. Uh, I'm not saying that you have to have to, but that's what we're looking at here. Yeah. Okay, so so what do I roll in this contest? Um, judging from how you were role playing, uh, I would say it's definitely social mm-hmm. influence, okay. and uh, diffuse tensions probably factors in here. Okay, so it's a d eight, d ten, d six. Yeah, and um, what are your distinctions? I, I would argue caring or devout the few. I think I think it's a devout the few role. I, I, I'm tapping into his. I'm, I'm trying to I'm trying to tap into his you know, connections to our, our collective beliefs here. Oh, actually, uh, Amy Fonz is a signature asset of yours. Oh, right. Yeah. Yep. So that's a D8 for you. And then finally, uh, 
say reminder, uh, you got that toxins D4, you can get rid of that complication right now and profit off it by taking a plot point and adding it to your pool. Okay, so let me, let me go through this real quick. So I'm gonna roll D8 for mental, D10 for, for influence, D6 for TV's tensions, a D8 for the few, a D8 for, for Amy Fawns. And if I rolled a, a complication that, remind me how that affects the pool. Uh, the toxins complication? Yes. So uh, it, it gets rolled in your pool, so mm -hmm. it can potentially count toward your total and everything. It can also potentially come up as a hitch. Um, but once you do that, like after the roll's said and done with, you, you get to remove that complication. Okay, I'm, I'm going to try to at the same time do that and try to kind of push through this. This, okay. this is kind of a turning point for me. I, I want to, I'm kind of trying to get clear-headed here and convince Bao. So I'm going to go ahead and roll these six different dice here and see what happens. Okay. And I'll update your little sheet here with your plot point that you just got. Jesus Christ. Rolled six dice and three of them rolled ones. All right. Well, the good news is I've got... An, an, a, I rolled a d10 twice. Both times have been fucking ones. All right. Uh, but I've got 15 on here. But you got three, three ones you could buy and absolutely screw me. 15 and three ones. Okay. That is pretty mighty. Uh, what's the biggest die that has that rolled a one? Oh, big old D10. Biggest die I had there. It's, it's betrayed me twice. I've rolled D10 twice tonight, and they've both been ones. Okay. Uh, I will buy that from you. I'm not going to buy the other ones. Mm -hmm. uh, so go ahead and take a plot point. Uh, I'm going to just use this to add a third D10 to my pool. Mm -hmm. And then on top of that, Bows the character, so he gets pool. Uh, he gets his own uh, dice. Uh, not much, because it's not that he's not that major of a character. But uh, let me go ahead and roll, because he will challenge that. Mm -hmm. Ooh boy. Okay, so uh, let's see. My best thing is currently just a ten. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm going to spend two dice from the Doom pool mm -hmm. uh, and just add those to the total um to make it a 19 Yikes. with a d6 effect die mm -hmm. because uh you know you decided to basically initiate this contest which uh, i mean frankly i got you there but anyways uh because he won it's not necessarily over you can do one of two things you can give in taking a plot point and defining your own failure or you can attempt to beat this total and you can essentially just roll the same pool again, minus the toxins. Um, and wait, uh, a thing that you can do also, since you just racked up so many plot points, is spend a plot point to create a relationship die with Bao. Mm -hmm. And and that basically just works like an asset die. Yeah, I, I think I'm definitely going to create that, that relationship. Because I, I think I'm, I, I like to tap into the, you know, we've, we've been co-workers for a long time. We're both members of the same kind of religious sect here I'm, I'm really trying to push through i'm definitely gonna roll again i'm trying to push through bow's skepticism and, and maybe his fear for the safety of, of his granddaughter and just try I, I need to convince him that he needs he needs to believe what, what i've seen and, and what i can what i can tell him later on and you can create more asset dice as you think of them or i, w I would recommend just uh, you already have so many dice I would recommend just um, saving your plot points uh, to add more dice to the total as you need it. Okay. Uh, so swap out that D4 that you had rolled with a newly formed D6 for that relationship. And yeah, you can otherwise just roll the same pool. Um, and just to kind of like role play this out a little bit uh, before you roll, um, I think what happens here is uh, Bao gets up and he does what I said he would do earlier. He gets up, he wipes his mouth and says, 
Look, bro, I'm, I'm going to go to the, uh, this is a lot to process. I'm just going to go to the uh, bathroom, maybe stop by the vending machine. You want anything? No, wait, Bao. Just don't leave yet. I, I need to talk to you about what I saw. That's is part of the contest, I'm assuming. Yeah. Um, it's like, Bao, you and I have, have been, I've known each other for a while now. I mean, you've, you've worked side by side with me in, in the restaurant. You, you and I are members of our, of our, of our sect, our group. You, you know what we believe. You know I wouldn't lie to you or or talk to you like this if i wasn't certain about the fact that something is happening it, it's i i know it's i can't put into words the reality of it or the finer points but you you have to understand that it's it's not this isn't this isn't normal nothing that's happened this past week has been normal and lillian is part, part of it whether she knows it or not and i believe she knows it and she's going somewhere to be to to do something to help us but we can't we can't stop what she's doing. She needs to be able to do what she needs to do. It, it, it's it's her destiny, Bow. Okay, go ahead and roll for it. So I've got a twelve. Unfortunately, not great. A bunch of kind of average dice rolls across the board here. All right. Um, you should have uh, three plot points left because I think you had four before you rolled the uh, before you created the relationship die. This is so important. I'm going to spend two of those plot points to, to bring my total to 26. Basically, 26? I, yeah. If, if I, if I wow. subtract, try to subtract, sorry, 25, because I've got two. So if I, if I, if, right now I've added, no, no, I'm sorry. That's impossible. That's, I'm, I'm only at two dice. So it's 6, 12, 18, 23, 23. Oh, still, that's a pretty high dice roll. Um, so 23. That's, that's spending two plot points, by the way. Yeah. Uh, so. Bal's not going to challenge that. He's going to give in. Uh, I don't get plot points. I just get more dice for the danger zone. So I'm going to add a d6 to the danger zone. Uh, and uh, once you actually narrate what this outcome looks like as we bring this episode to a close. Bao kind of looks at me and, and looks around the room. And his eyes begin to kind of narrow. And then for a moment, they begin to kind of well up. But not in a, kind of a, a, a sad way, but more of a... He, he feels the, the gravity of the moment that I've described, and he suddenly becomes worried about Liliana even more so than he was before. Not, I mean, he was worried about Liliana's safety before and the fact that she was gone, but now he is truly begins to, it, it dawns on him that maybe something that involves the, you know, kind of the fate of the colony is, is somehow, you know, wrapped her up in that, in that narrative and that scares him. You know, it's because it's not something he, he feels suddenly more helpless about his ability to, to help her. He kind of looks at me and I look back at him and I, and I see that transition to where he suddenly believes me. So he kind of, kind of you know, gives me like a kind of a conspiratorial look and, and kind of draws the curtain uh, around my bed and pulls up a chair and kind of asks me like, tell me everything from the beginning. And I do. All music and art provided for the show was done by Solid, aka James, who can be found in the show notes. If you would like to keep up with the latest Starshot news, follow us on Twitter at StarshotPod. We hope you enjoyed this episode, and we'll see you among the stars.